Because all I got on my mind right now is some ice cream. So. I was raised by the wolves. I was raised by the wolves. All right, folks, we are back with another Red White podcast, and we have the rare three way. Everybody loves the three way. So here we go. We have Chance and Will joining me tonight. And first off, I want to plug the website, put some stuff out there this week. Um, hearing some things on the wires, hearing the grapevines that probably interest of some people. So if you haven't signed up, then please do help support the podcast. But also there's some interesting information that I'm sure you want to know. There's some football nuggets in there and some basketball nuggets in there, a little bit of everything. But boys, how you doing tonight? Chance, how you doing? Good. How about you gentlemen? Good, Will. You still alive? Yes, I have uh, smoked a cigar and uh, sipped a little whiskey tonight, so I am in the zone. Oh, prepare for the hot takes. All right, well, uh, we want to get this out of the way first. Chance, what the hell happened with the baseball team? They won Friday, lost Saturday, but Sunday, man. I was watching Sunday, and that really disappointed me. They were up 4 nothing in the top, bottom of six, whatever it was. And just gave up like meatballs. Those guys are hitting bombs out of the park. It was three home runs back to back or something like that. Two back to back. They hit. They hit three. It was three to nothing state, and they hit three home runs back to back to take a four to three lead. We just left. We just left Willardson in there a little too long. Um, and I and I think the main difference in this series is kind of the 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 same drum we've been beating all season, which is just like we don't we don't have much of a bullpen. Like, I mean, Miami, the huge piece for Miami was Carson Palmquist, their their closer coming in and throwing the final two innings um, of both games. Um, and, and State doesn't have anybody like that. Um, that's like a, a, go, a go-to guy that we know is going to be able to shut the opponent down. And, um, and State just doesn't have that. Um, so that that's disappointing. I, I would have liked to have seen a little more offensive production on on Saturday and Sunday, especially Sunday when I didn't think Miami starter. Um, I, I can't remember his name at the moment, but yeah, it didn't look all that good. The offense looked good on Friday when they threw the the Fetterman guy. Miami still has not won on Friday, um, and I have not been all that impressed with Fetterman this year. But you know, it's just after a ten game homestand to start the year. Coming out with a four and six record and one and five in the ACC is not good. Um, so, so let me ask you this: So they left Wilson in too long, like, right when you and I were talking, and right when I was thinking that it was, he had pitched five scoreless innings, he looked really good. And you had mentioned this before that they had a tendency to leave guys in too long, right. like this. Another example of that, right? Correct. Um, I, that's been a big criticism of. Avent and pitching coach coach Clint Chrysler in the past, um, you know, and, and that just that reared its ugly head once again. I mean, you you hate to you you hate to leave too short of a leash on a guy, but I mean that's one of Willardson's big problems throughout his career at State, which was mostly just what we saw last year and what we've seen the short season this year. Is he'll throw one good inning and then he'll kind of blow up. So I, I think. I would have liked to have seen them go to a different guy in the sixth inning. I, I know the bullpen is is not great, 
But I think coming through that third time through Miami's lineup, I just thought it was going to be tough for a guy like Willardson to really shut them down again. And I, I just wish wish they would have been a little bit more proactive there. I know hindsight's twenty twenty, sure. But um, but you know, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, I, Miami, I wonder how much of that is they don't have faith in the bullpen. Like you mentioned, there's bullpen issues. Absolutely, I, I'm sure a lot of that is, and th- that's what Avent has said in like some of his post game press conferences of just like you know we haven't found like our bullpen guys have been super reliable yet. I I got into a Twitter conversation with somebody the other day. It was either on Saturday or Sunday about like how the guys that are supposed to be like strong returners in this bullpen have not looked great. Like Cam Cotter, like Kent Kleiman, um, like some of those more dependable bullpen guys, like Dalton Feeney, some of those more dependable bullpen guys have not been, have not been what we expected. And there have been some bright spots, like Kanan Silver has looked really good. Matt Willardson has looked decent for the most part, except for giving up, uh, you know, a couple home runs the other day. Um, David Harrison has looked good. Reed Johnston has looked good. But, you know, there's some bullpen guys that, I mean, Kent Kleiman, everybody thought he was going pro last year. And then he came back, and now he's getting shelled. Like, what in the world? Like, what happened? Um, it, it, it's frustrating. Um, hopefully they'll turn it around this weekend at Duke, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, Evan plugged the website earlier. I'll have a preview up for this weekend for their series against the Blue Devils. Hopefully they'll turn it around. It's a good opportunity, too, before welcoming Louisville this weekend. A really good Louisville team, too. A top-10 Louisville team. So, yeah. All right, so let me, let's get blunt here. We never pull, plunge, pull punches. Or are we just not good? Your words, not mine. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I just, you know, I think there was a lot of reasons to be excited at the beginning of the year, but you know, I, even going back to what I said in my preview podcast, the biggest issue was gonna be the bullpen, and the bullpen has not been good. So until they prove me otherwise, I, I you know, I refuse to believe that that there's any real reason to think this team has the potential to make a, a deep postseason run. And they they might they might throw some stuff together at the end of the year and get hot and and, and make a run in in May and June, but. Until I see something in the next couple of weeks that proves me otherwise, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of this year's looking more and more like a lost cause every time I watch him play. Yeah, I feel you. I understand that. I kind of thought the same thing, man, watching them. I just that I thought maybe the Miami series might have, you know, might help be them turning the corner. And then that sixth inning, I was just like, oh God, man, that was just yeah, I mean, they couldn't do anything right. It just you could see the wind just get sucked out of the entire team. That absolutely, if they're able to hold on and win that game, like our perspective is totally different. It's oh man, we just beat a team that's ranked in the top ten in every poll, two out of three, heading into our first away series of the year. Like hey, these guys have turned a corner. Hey, we did get to five hundred. Our perception now is totally different. But now, now that you end up losing that game, you you know I, I think fans are getting more and more disappointed every game. Yeah, I can understand that. Are we sure that, uh, you know, I've watched a lot of baseball movies. Are we sure, like, the pitchers just don't need, like, a nice set of glasses, to, you know, to get them going? Look, or, maybe, if, maybe if Avent can – since look, we're going to Durham. We're playing at the D-BAP this week. Avent needs to give the guys the lollygagger speech. Go into the D-BAP this week. <laughs> the perfect opportunity for it. Over, that'll pump those guys up and, we'll, we'll, look, we'll, we'll go undefeated from there on out. We'll go, we'll go forty four and six or whatever the record would be. They they probably haven't watched that movie. 
<laughs> they definitely were not alive then. How many games do they play? It's a stupid uh, question. So I think they're scheduled for I think they're actually scheduled for 48. The most you could play this year was 50, but they only played two opening weekend as opposed to three. They were only scheduled for 49 originally, so they might add one or two more. And Evan, Evan, look, dude, or not Evan, Will, look, dude, them never having watched Bull Durham, every single one of those guys are probably older than me. So (laughs) if I've seen it, then they should have seen it too. It's on the MLB network like once a day. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So there's still 40-some games, probably 40 games left at this point. It's still a long way from over, so we're not going to throw in the towel just yet, but disappointing start nonetheless. I think people – that's fair to say. I think everybody can understand that. Um, You know, we expected a little bit more out of this team, and they're not getting it. So a team that is getting it, Westmore and the women's basketball teams. They are back-to-back ACC champions. Raina Perez – I've said it from the beginning. I don't watch a whole lot of women's basketball, but I do check in on them. I watch some of the big games, and she's legit, man. She can play, and she hit that clutch mid-range, mid, I don't know, 15-foot jumper at the end of that game. was just yeah, it was unbelievable, unbelievably clutch. She's awesome. I think she's awesome. Everybody, Kanane and everybody else gets all the all the hype, Crutchfield. Give me, give me Raina Perez, man. She can play. I, I think Perez has already said she's coming back next year too, I believe. So that'll be great for next year's team as well. Yeah, she's um, – yeah, I think, you know, the whole thing applies to all of them too. I think – who did they say? They were chanting one more year. I think it was Kayla Jones and um, – Yeah, she's the same. It's, and their teammates were like first-round draft pick, right? She's she's gone. If you're a first-round draft pick, I don't expect you to stick around. But Westmore is uh, unbelievable and – the thing I take about this out of this more than anything is that you can win here. You can change the culture of a program. You know, he's been here eight years, but if you look at the impact and, and how he's done it and what he's done, that's it's amazing. And I'm not saying Keats is going to get it done in eight years, but I, I feel like if you, you give him the time, you know, Westmore proves that you can win here. You know, you can win in – Okay, it's not a major revenue sport, but it's one of the bigger sports. And it's a sport we're not historically been great at. And he is just built building a juggernaut. He's got five stars coming in. He just I mean, I'm just so impressed with what he's done and how he's done it. And he the fact that they're not currently right now, I think not projected to be a one seed in the They are is, the two seed and it is bullshit. I will say it's, it blasphemous man it's unbelievable it's just so disrespectful i I don't i don't understand that if they put texas a&m and south carolina as one seeds and leave state as a two seed i will go insane texas a&m gets upset in the semifinals of the sec tournament and oh by the way we beat south carolina on the road like if those two teams get one seeds over us oh my god that'll be they shouldn't even have a tournament because that would be such a joke oh my god it's it's how I feel about the coach of the year awards and all these other things. It's just the people that are making these calls are clearly not watching the games. They're clearly just disconnected from reality. I mean, you, you beat, nobody has got a better resume than state does. Like if it just completely unbiased, nobody's got a better, better resume. Somebody put up a comparison, right? It's like, which resume would you want? A, B or C? And it was like, not even close. And you know, 
State just gets no respect. They went to South Carolina one. They beat Louisville twice, who's once when they were a number one team and the other when they were a top five team. It's just unbelievably how they can just, I don't know, man. Uh, it's, it's very NC State of them to be a two seed at this point. You know, that's that's basically how I can, that's basically what I think about it. It's, it's frustrating, but good for the women's, man. They're, I'm impressed with the, what Wes Moore has done there. I tweeted after they beat Louisville on the road, we should give Wes Moore a lifetime contract legitimately. Like, as long as he wants to be at NC State, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I I don't think there's any concern with that one. I think he's he's got a place where he has built his name, right? And he's built his legacy already that I just, you know, if who, where's he going to go? Like, who's going to pull him away? UConn, maybe? You know, there's not many other bigger bigger programs at this point right now. And that is just not something I expected to say about an NC State program. Right. So speaking of misrepresent misrepresentation, Mike Young won ACC Coach of the Year. Uh, after bailing on quite a few of their important games. Will, how do you feel about that? I mean, the only thing I want to know is, was that a legitimate contact trace or was it just the best time contact trace? Um, I, to me, I think it's, it's it's interesting because I think Passner has a better case and less scrutiny around it. He's had multiple COVID pauses. They've clearly like overperformed. Um, you know, I, I guess the thing you could say with Virginia Tech is like, well, you know, they could have easily won those other games and then it would have been you know, easily determined, I guess, but I, man, it's just, I think coming off of the ACC coach of the year with, uh, with Brian Kelly, who's not even in the ACC. And then this is this kind of decision. It just, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like the people that vote on these things just really don't seem to take into account, you know, all the factors out there. Um, you know, they just they just look at the top of the sheet and then they just go and they go, oh, Virginia Tech shouldn't be there, and boom, Mike Young got it. Um, well, it's it's crazy to me that it's the Dave Dorn Dave Dorn treatment, right? Georgia Tech was picked to finish bottom of the ACC, yet they win eleven ACC games. And I know they had a good year last year. They won they won eleven games with, but the, the, this year was less games. And it was the first time since 1995 that they've won double-digit games, double-digit league games. And it just, to me, you could make a case for Pastor. You can make a case for Hamilton even, right? I could make a case for Roy over Mike Young. And I think that's just crazy that they just somehow default to Mike Young. Like, I just, I don't know, man. They just seem to get these things over wrong over and over again. Yeah, I... I just, I mean, I really think this would have been the year to get a little creative and reward the teams that played. Like Brian Kelly? Well, yeah, but I mean, just think about it, right? Like, I mean, look, NC State played 17 games and they went 9-8. and eight, And Virginia Tech played, went 9-4 and four after playing 13 games. You know, to me, I just think it seems kind of screwy to give the award to Virginia Tech, especially when Georgia Tech is one game back, or they're not even one game back they're two games back from Virginia, just like Virginia tech is. Um, and, and, you know, Georgia tech overcame like a lot this season, you know, after having, you know, just 
really bad luck to start the season right. I, I just think that's a better coaching job than what Virginia Tech did. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I dogged, I dogged past her early in the year because when the pandemic started and their practice, he, he said that this practice, we're not going to have team practices. This was his quote. We're not going to have team practices. We're only going to do individual workouts. And I, I on the podcast was like, this dude's crazy. Like, how is he ever going to win? But, but they, man, they got it done. They got I it mean, done. did that hold up though? Or did he change gears? You know, I'm sure he changed, but at some point, like whatever he did worked because they were actually pretty good. It's and the they face did shield. It with, <laughs> it's the face <laughs> shield. They did it with a guy who won ACC Player of the Year that got pulled out from under our noses. Moses Wright from Raleigh and the high school. Classmates with Mahesh. Mahesh let him out, let him go to Georgia Tech. I'm going to shout out at Mahesh there for – Dropping the ball, but how did how did Moses Wright get out of Raleigh? How did nobody? Uh, well, I was listening to uh, an IPS podcast about it today, and I think James said he went and saw him. Like he was like on the B team for the AAU team he was on. You know he he just didn't pop at the right times, and he didn't really. You know I'll, I'll pull him up in a second here, just look at his stats. But if I remember correctly, like he didn't really do anything for the first couple years at um, at Georgia Tech either. Right. Um, so, you know, it could be, you know, a guy kind of just came into his own at the right time. Um, that was a Gottfried. It would have been a Gottfried recruit, if I'm not mistaken. Right? It was yeah. Gottfried's last year. But, I mean, look, he went from averaging like four points a game, seven points a game, 13 points a game, 18 points a game. It's not often you see, like, the progression like that actually hold up, right? Usually they bottom out at the, you know, the 12, you know, double-double kind of range. And, you know, he's just... He's having a hell of a year. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. Yeah. It, <laughs> if we had taken him, do you think he would have stuck here for two years? Like that, that's always the question, right? Is, are any of the guys that are on our bench or that are like contributors, the, you know, the same or have any upside like this? I, you know, sometimes you just get lucky, I think. Yeah. I was going to say Jalen Gibson to be the comparison there, right? Would you... Do you think Jalen Gibson develops into a potential all ACC player? I, I have no idea. Um, I don't know how anybody could project that either way right now. Well, maybe he'll have a lot of minutes next year. <laughs> it's possible. If you read the website this morning, you would know why it's possible. Um, I don't know. Anyway, Wolfpack plays enough Georgia Tech nonsense. I, I wanted to rant on Mike Young winning because I think that was just. Highway robbery. Wolfpack plays tomorrow at noon. Syracuse, NC State, ACC tournament. Chance, we've lost twice to the Qs. How are we, how are we going to do tomorrow? I honestly, I, I know this was kind of talked about in like the pod chat today. Like, I kind of think we're going to win tomorrow. Like, I know the old cliche, it's hard to beat a team three times. But, I mean, I think a lot of times that, that proves to be true. And I think, like, as well as, like, Sebron has been playing lately – and I think you could even see it like with Helms. Helms has looked pretty solid um, over the last month, month and a half, um, really ever since the Daniels injury. I think those guys are going to be able to like patrol the free throw line pretty well, finding kind of the open area in that zone. And I think they're going to have some opportunities to hit some jump shots that I, I think if, if they're playing well, they'll make. Um, like I just – I don't know. I have, I have a strangely good feeling about tomorrow. So – 
when we lose 82 to 57. Um, <laughs> that's, well, what I, that's what I'll chalk it up to. Well, but, um, um, so yeah, but I don't know why. I have a, I just have a strangely good feeling going into this week. Five game win streak. They're playing well. I think they're motivated, and I think they know they need to play well um, to get into the tournament. I think they still kind of have a bad taste in their mouth from our boy Mike Young uh, intentionally sending somebody out to get the COVID because he was scared. And um, and so so yeah, I just have I have a strangely good feeling uh, about this week, not just the Syracuse game, just like this week in general. I hope I'm right. Well, um, well, do you have a strangely good feeling or what? Well, I mean, I just think it's I think it's simple. This game comes down to Helms, right? Uh, he plays what the nail or whatever you want to call it, right? He is going to get the ball a ton. That first game when it was close, I think he had like 24 points, um, and he was like hovering around 50% or more on the free on the field goals. And if you get a really good game from Helms, if he's hitting, he's not turning the ball over, he's making the good passes. If Manny Bates is, is not stone handing it, you know, when he gets it down low, um, I think it's ours. You know, I, I just think here's the thing, man, until state loses, I'm picking state. It's pretty simple. Yeah. I, I would too. They're playing well. Like I, I don't think it's the same team. I know Syracuse is playing well too. It's it's not the same state team that has played those first two Syracuse games. And, and to be honest, I had a chance in both of those games, or at least the first Syracuse game. And I think they're playing they're playing a little bit better now. And if they can keep that momentum going, you know, I'm with you. I kind of feel like they have a chance. And I, I, I mean, what's got you? The, the thing I would just remind, or at least I've been thinking about, is that Syracuse game was right before the Duke game. You know, that stomach bug went to the team. Who knows if right. it was impacting us all. It makes no sense that that Syracuse game, I think the Syracuse game and the Duke game, I think we had over 20 or more turnovers. Yeah. Uh, right? And so we just weren't playing the way we normally play. I think in the game prior, the close game that we had with Syracuse, I'm just clicking really fast, so give me. Give me a break. Yeah, we had 11 turnovers, right? So we had double the turnovers, and we were still within striking distance against that Cuse team. You just want to see us, you know, not look flustered, and this team hasn't looked very flustered in the last few games. You know, UVA is going to make it as hard as hell on you as anyone else. And, you know, so I like that. what I was going to say earlier. I just like our potential to make a run here because Syracuse and UVA are both teams that, that Keats has, in my opinion, shown very consistent, strong game plans against. And, you know, we have recent experience playing these guys, beating UVA on the road. I think the guys are going to be pissed off about how the Syracuse games went previously. Uh, Cuse is a two-point favorite. I mean, I think it's just, you know, it's practically a home game for us. And, you know, Syracuse, you know, Beheim doesn't want to eat in Greensboro more than he has to. (laughs) What you got, Chance? And going back to that first Syracuse game, like – you think about that was the first game after Daniels got hurt, I think, and State was up like twelve at halftime in that game. And yeah. You just think about like how much this team has grown, like the emergence of like Shaq Moore and Cam Hayes and like Darian Sebrin. Like you think about how much this team has grown since then, and, and how much better like those young guys have gotten. I mean, I think if State's able to build a lead, they're going to hold it this time. You know, I think both the Syracuse games have kind of had asterisks because, like I said, State was still. So finding themselves in the first game, and then you talk about the stomach bug in the second game. I mean, I I just think I just think the I just think you know State's got signs pointing in a good direction for him heading heading into tomorrow. Or uh, and yeah, so like I said, you know, I, I 
I, I think they have a really good shot at winning and making a run. Um, I, I think this is a game that that bodes well for State. Like like Will kind of said, State has oddly kind of played well under in the Keats era under um, under Keats against Syracuse and Virginia. Um, so I think I think there's a lot of reasons for for State fans to be optimistic at this, this week. All right, well, give me a number. How many games do they need to win this tournament to make the tournament? Uh, it's got to be two. Um, and, you know, it would certainly help to do it convincingly, at least in one. I, I don't know how all the net me- metrics work, right? But I think if your state, you have to send a message to any of these voters, or I don't even know how they even put this together anymore, right? I, I think you need to really shellac somebody. And then in that third game, you better look competitive. So shellac somebody like Duke did to BC this morning or this afternoon. The second all-time highest scoring margin or margin differential, thirty-five points in an ACC tournament game. Duke over BC. Duke is going to get in, aren't they? No. <laughs> <laughs> Will you say you say that? I think they're going to. I think the name on the front of their jersey is, is going to carry them in. They don't. No. If you're asking me, do they deserve to be in? the no, they do not. But I, I you know. Especially, God, if they beat Louisville tomorrow, like, oh my yeah. God, yes, they're they're getting in. No, they're not beating Louisville. I'll just tell you right now, <laughs> like, you know, Duke Duke is, I mean, they're just fraudulent. I'm I'm not buying it. Um, that BC team is awful. Like, uh, I watched that game for some stupid reason, and they are so bad. Like, <laughs> so I put it out there, they should they're so bad they should have fired Christensen again because they're so bad. And I, I truly believe it. But so Duke wins by 35. BC was never in that game from the beginning. But I think Duke is going to get all kinds of love just because they're going to see the number. They're going to see the name. But like, oh, Duke's back. Coach Hayes got him, got him playing. We need them in the tournament. Right? That's what's going to happen. I mean, like, unless if they you get need- blown out tomorrow. If they get blown out by Louisville, which won't happen, then I can see that they're not getting it. But I mean, the nation doesn't care about Duke. <laughs> like, I, I think you would get more people watching the NCAA tournament if you knew that Duke was the last out. <laughs> that'd be interesting, right? If they're the, if they're on the first four, last four out, somebody gets COVID, Duke steps in. <laughs> like, oh my god, right? It, it would it be out. great. It would. I will say, just like the kind of the Schadenfreude of seeing a Duke in the first four in game or whatever it is, last four in, whatever they call it, right? But doing that play in game, you know, NC State always gets crap for playing in those uh, those games, and I would just kind of love to see Coach K land there. But could you imagine if this was Coach K's last year and he has to play in the first four in? Oh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he retires. I've, I've said, I think I said this last week. Is that at this point. It feels like he's over it all, and I just don't know how much he's got going, much excitement he's got going for next year, right? If there's any sort of pandemic hint, like he he has, he's pulled no punches this year. He has tried to end this season multiple times. So well, wasn't the rumor know. that if the ACC tournament did not cancel last year, that Duke was going to opt out? Yeah. Right, right. The game before we were supposed to play them, yeah, yeah. We were going to beat their ass because we were playing good. Yeah. Here's a question from the people: Who is the most important 
wait, what is it? What or who is the most important issue player going into the next season, next basketball season? Who's the most important player going into next season? Put it that way. Well, if you're asking me, I would say um, Manny Bates okay. is the most important because I think without DJ and Devin, you, you're really going to need someone to rely on on defense to keep us in the game. I, I get the feeling that we're still going to be kind of streaky with the younger players. Um, you know, can you know can Cam and Sebron really keep it up? Um, kind of playing at this pace that they've been ripping off in the last few games. Um, but I think if you have, you know, Manny was third for defensive player of the year this year. So, you know, if he's here and healthy and develops any additional elements to his game, I think he's potentially going to be like a player of the year candidate. He won't put up big offensive numbers, but if he's, you know, averaging 10, 12, 14 points a game and he's consistently that, that rim protector, altering shots, affecting shots. Um, it's going to be hard for state to be good without him, in my opinion. The put it, we, we talked about this in the pod chat yesterday or this morning. I forgot what day it was, but we we're talking about Manny Bates. If Manny Bates learns to rebound, if he gets some hands and gets a little bit more rebounding aggressiveness, his numbers will skyrocket, right? He's, he can't rebound for, crap for a seven footer who can jump through the roof and it's mind-boggling because if you look at a guy like Dwight Howard who had basically no offensive game other than dunking the ball he got all he he averaged across his NBA career he averaged double digit rebounds and that leads to a lot of easy points for a guy like Dwight Howard Manny basically has that same kind of game he just has got to figure out how to rebound if he bumps that number up to like Six rebounds per game. His points per game goes up to probably close to twenty, because most of the he's going to get offensive rebounds. He's going to get putbacks. He's going to get just everything. I think that's the most to me. That's the most important thing that he needs to develop more than a better offensive game. He needs some damn rebounding. If he can rebound, he will be a big time player. Chance, who's your who's your who's your player for next year? Who's your most important player? I'm as far as most important, not necessarily best or most talented, but most important. I'm gonna have to go with with one of the two guards. I think either Hayes or Moore, um, because you know you look at the status of of Daniels and Beverly coming back next year is still unknown. I I kind of think Braxton's coming back, and I think Daniels is gone. But let's just say for argument's sake, let's just say both those guys are gone, and you lose your two biggest ball handlers outside of Hayes and Moore. Think having, you know, you've obviously got like Breon Pass coming in as a guard, but I think having a guy who has experience in the ACC, despite it just a freshman, will be will be huge kind of teaching pass and, and just having a, a proven ACC ball handler. Um, especially, I think the I think the ceiling for both for both Moore and Hayes is is so high. Um, so I'll go I'll go with one of those two guys for that reason of. Uh, you know, outside of them, we don't have a, a proven ball handler, from, for, at least from what I believe, um, assuming that both Daniels and Beverly leave. Yeah, I'd say of, of those two, Hayes would probably be my guy. I think he is his growth over the last like month has, you know, it's it's no coincidence that the team got better as Cam Hayes got better. 
Absolutely. He got better. He's gotten better offensively. He's gotten better distributing. And like I said last week, I think he, the team looks to him like a player I haven't seen in a long time. Like on fast breaks, they're looking to get Cam the ball and let him do what he needs to do with the ball. And that is usually get it to somebody else. Because that's what a point guard should do. And I, I think that's really important for him. I, I was going to go with Sebron. I think Sebron epitomizes everything that Keats wants to do with his offense. He can play defense. He can rebound and go coast to coast. Right, we've seen like Jericho will try to do it, he, but he's not nearly as fast as Sebron. If Sebron develops a you know a little bit deeper mid range three point shot, keeps teams honest, and keeps up the aggressiveness, maybe puts on a few pounds. I think he is he really epitomizes what Keats wants to do with that length, lengthy guard that can play. Like he's he's playing a basically a four spot with guard skills, which is insane. Well, Helms would be faster down the court if he wasn't trying to get fouled from behind every time he crosses the midcourt line. Um, games, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I hope for. I mean, I, I've noticed he still does it, so I guess that they're they've coached him to do it or whatever. But um, I'd say the only other like question mark is going to be what kind of transfers does Keats bring in, right? Um, you know, and does I can't believe I'm going to say this? Does Thomas Allen? you know, right the ship a little bit, right? Because, you know, you've seen him where he's been good and things like if, if you're going to be in the game and you're supposed to be this prolific shooter or scorer or whatever, then you better shoot. And I can't have, you know, Thomas be tentative next year. So, you know, that might be one of Keats's biggest coaching jobs in the off season is just getting him confident to shoot the ball. And maybe that was because Devin and, and those guys weren't getting him the ball consistently or where he wanted the ball. And so he lost confidence. I don't know, but, you know, if, I think if you look at Braxton and you look at how the guys have changed over the last month or so, doing what they're what they're good at, and I really think that with <clears throat> Thomas Allen, like I, he can shoot. I know he can shoot. He's got it in him. I just wonder how much of it, it was the same with with Braxton. Are they asking him to do too much? Asking him to do things that he's not good at. And if you have a guy like Cam who can now run the point successfully does that free up Allen to be more relaxed and just shoot the ball. Right. Like that would be my question. Thomas Allen. Yeah. Be interesting. Yeah. He's going to have to hit the transfer market. I think that's for sure. If you could have, excuse me, if you could have any of the seniors back, who would you want? DJ Funderburg. No doubt. hundred percent. DJ Funderburg. Interesting. I I'm still feel like Daniel. he has not like scratched or, you know, gotten through it to his ceiling yet. You know, like we've, we've been talking about the last few weeks, right? Like if he starts hitting threes, I mean, you're talking about a legit NBA player then, right? Yeah. And that's, I just think that's the one little thing he can get with that stroke. And I, I just can't see Devin coming back. That's probably the other reason. It's just, I, I don't think, I don't think he's got it. I don't think it's in his best interest to come back. And I think it I think the opposite. I think with with Daniels in particular, he's going to he's gonna need rehab, right? That's gonna take eight to nine months. I don't think the timing works out in his favor to go unless I mean, I guess he could do rehab on his own, but I would imagine that he comes back and takes advantage of states athletic facilities and medical professionals and gets his ACL back and uses next year as a 
you know, like a, a resume piece. I think he's got, you know, I think that bodes well for him to make more money. I don't think he's an NBA guy still, but I think he he's an upper echelon Euro league player. I don't, I don't know what the good leagues are over there, but I would say he's, he can play in any of those leagues. Right. Chance. What do you think? And, and Evan, I, you know, I, I agree with that, that I do think he has potential to play professionally in, in Europe or, or somewhere. But I just think I just think if you get DJ back another year, I think schematically opponents just have to focus so much more on him. You know, if, if you get it down to him in the low post, I think you'll see some double teams and stuff. And I think opponents will really have to key up on key in on him, which will free up some of these other shooters like we talked about, like Thomas Allen, like Cam Hayes. I just think – I think, you know, I, I you know, Daniels is fine in my opinion, but we've talked about him not really raising everyone else around him their game. I think Thunderberg has the potential to do that by drawing defensive guys in and being able to kick it out to shooters and stuff like that. I, I think I think Thunderberg does more as a unit for this group than, than Daniels does. That's a good point. I I think especially if you look at the big man depth on this roster it would be the one you need the most probably, right? You don't need Daniels or Braxton as much as you would need a big. Carter Witt just hit a three. I haven't seen him. <laughs> well, he hit one a couple of series ago too. I guess we're all doing okay. the same thing right now. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't seen him uh, shoot a ball in a long time. Seen him turn the ball over. Wake, Wake's playing um, Notre Dame right now, and they're beating that ass. It's, they're up 15. Whew. I lost my train of thought. I forgot where we're going. Talking about Devin Daniels and DJ Funderburg. Enough yeah. of this Devin Daniels. Let's talk Devin Leary. Am I right, guys? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I had one more basketball thought. Oh, man. I ruined it. Carter Witt's fault. Carter Witt ruined it. Spring football practice started today. Yeah, yeah. I think we're all um, pretty excited about that. Damn, I'm really – I had something – to say about basketball now I totally forgot. I know as of as of tomorrow the spring game is officially 1 month away. April Yeah, 10th. spring game April 10th. Thank right God. On. I wonder what they're going to do for fans. You know, and you guys talked about it last week if they were able to have 4,000 for regular season games with, with them allowing more fans now to be sure they might not have the 30% but to be sure they're going to have some at least. You should at least try to get your season ticket holders out there. Um, you want to give them something as a reward for standing by you during the COVID times would be That's my recommendation. Point. That's a great point. Um, students, if if they want to come out there. Um, but there's, there's really no excuse. It's outdoors. It'll probably be a beautiful day. And... Um, you know, just just find a reason to try to generate some optimism. You know, there's going to be a lot of key players that are sitting out for the spring, so a lot of the young guys are going to soak up reps. You know, Mezzi's going to sit out for the spring, is my understanding, or at least be non-contact. And uh, Doran gave a uh, little shout out to um, Anthony Smith and Chris Scott. I noticed they his they were called out specifically. Um, so I think the need for speed is going to be out on the field, which would be fun for the fans to see. Um, but more importantly, I think it would just be great to see what this team looks like after it actually gets a full camp install, um, which we didn't get last spring or last fall. Um, so probably Tim Beck is probably happier than anyone else right now. 
Drake Thomas, Peyton Wilson, Bam Knight, Mecca Mezzi, Ricky Person Jr., Terrell Dawkins are sitting out of spring drills. Not too surprising there. The only one that was surprising to me was Terrell Dawkins. I don't know if he's – I mean, did he get hurt or something? Probably. I'm not sure. Yeah, that was the only one that, that stood out to me that um, thought – I thought that was odd. Everybody else, like, they're either hurt or, you know, you're running Bam Knight and Ricky Person. I don't think they need to spring as much, especially the, you know, the contact drills. They are going to get beat up during the year, so let them get healthy. I mean, you saw what time off did for Ricky Person early in the year. He looked fantastic. So I'm all for that. Devin Leary had an interesting quote, and I can't find it at the moment, but it was something to the effect of him really learning what Beck wants to do, and that really intrigued me. Let's see if I can find it, but it was something along the lines of, you know, I we didn't get to see what Tim Beck's offense really was or really get to learn it because they didn't have the install last year. But what do you think the impact of – Having a full spring with Beck around is going to be, Will. Well, I think it's going to be huge. Um, I, I, I guess what I'm curious of is, did Tim learn anything from doing that kind of fractured fast install uh, due to COVID? You know, did he learn a way to either keep things simple? You know, because all things considered, right? I mean, we saw big strides in the offense overall. Um but I think from his perspective is, you know, can he get, you know, I, I think, is, is Tyron Riley sitting out the spring? Uh, yeah, I'm sure he was on that. Okay. Play. Yeah, I think so. Right. So him, McKay are out. So, you know, again, he's working with kind of the, the, the patchwork line. So, you know, can he get them solidified? You know, just getting all those reps for Devin, right? He missed a huge chunk of the fall last year. And... I think that in the timing and working with the younger receivers is going to be beneficial. Um, you know, I, just overall, I mean, you have to replace Kerry Angeline. So he's got to figure out how, what he wants to do with tight ends, if anything. Um, you know, you're going to be working with the third and fourth string running backs. So, you know, probably from Beck's perspective, he's probably going to be hyper-focused on his quarterback play. Um, you've got Aaron There's McLaughlin a, there. Yeah, you got it. Here's the quote. Yeah, I found it. Um, Devin Leary on how comfortable he is with Tim Beck's offense. When I got injured, I thought I had a good grasp of the offense. But Coach Beck wasn't fully wasn't able to fully explain his system. We didn't have enough time. Now I'm able to get on the same page as him and be one step ahead. I think I've had tremendous growth. That, to me, like speaks volumes. Like Just him acknowledging that, you know, it's funny. I was exp- I was explaining math problems to my six year old at dinner, right? And he and I was what I was trying to get out of him was for him to say, "I don't understand." Like it's okay to not understand it and not just guess. And for for Devin Leary to say that, like I now that we're on the same page, it's uh, to me that feels like a huge leap in like maturity and then like understanding. Like everybody knows he has confidence. He's got a big arm, and he can do some things with it. But now, if he gets on the same same page and like truly understands the concepts behind what the offense and what Tim Beck wants to do, same thing with my six year old. If he understands how he's going to add 110 and 110, then 
it just takes his his level, his ability to understand and ability to learn the rest of the offense to the next level. And I think to me that really stood out. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to hear, man. Yeah, I mean, Doran gave a quote today about him. Devin believes in himself. He's played very well. He's very confident. He's not cocky at all. Just very confident. He's very comfortable in the role that he's in. He believes in himself and his teammates believe in him. He's done a really good job building relationships with his teammates. He's just excited. Um, yeah, I think it's just, you know, you saw the snapshot of it, right? We only got him for basically three and a half games last year. Um, and if that confidence and understanding improves upon what we saw in those games, then, you know, the ceiling is the roof. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just watching bas- ACC basketball. I can't walk away from a Michael Jordan quote. Um, I I just think it's it's it feels good to not really be worried about the quarterback position, even the backups, right? You you know you think Finley McLaughlin. I like what's behind him. Um, and again, I just I just think if what I mean if if Devin's saying that, what about the receivers? What about the offensive line? What about the running backs? Like. Everyone was on such a steep learning curve last season and did so well. Do we see that jump in the run game because of this, right? Do we see do we see that Wake Forest game show up more next season instead of like the Kentucky game or whatever we saw at the end, right? Where we were just beat to shit. Um I, I don't know. I, I'm just it, it was weird watching Doran in this press conference or Zoom conference, whatever you want to call it. You know, very relaxed, very confident in how he was talking. He seems to know that, hey, I've got 10 starters returning on offense and defense, and my special teams is pretty much locked down. Like, he looks comfortable. He looks like he's not worried about those first four games that can really set the tone next year. I mean, I, I like what I'm seeing. What do you What do you think, Chance? What, what's your outlook? I mean, I also think like kind of talking about the offense, like I'm kind of anxious to see like how the receivers, you kind of talk about how the quarterbacks are adapting, but like going to the receivers, like, well, will this like news, even though it's not technically new, it's still pretty new. Um, Cause you know, based off what we've heard, like they didn't really get a full grasp on on like what this offense is capable of and like schematically what Beck wants to do fully, like will this like kind of change some of the receivers we see play and will it benefit some receivers like more than others? Like, you know, Porter Rooks was kind of coming on there at the end. Will he have like a bigger role this year? Like uh, the Coit guy is another one. What's it? Jalen Coit? Mm-hmm. Julian Coit. Um, like Micah Crowell, like I know he's he's a newbie, he's a freshman, but like I'm anxious to see like what which of these receivers like will have will have bigger roles this year. I know you know like um, you said, Amezi was one of the guys out in spring ball, right? Yep. And you, yeah. So like especially now, like some of these other guys have opportunities to prove themselves. They've had a little more access to this playbook. Like I'm anxious to see how they'll grow, and I'm sure we'll see that a lot in the spring game with um Amezi having a decreased role this spring. I think that'll be fun to keep an eye on throughout the next few months. I think that's exactly why he's sitting out. You get the younger guys more reps. I think a guy like Amezi doesn't need a spring, uh, doesn't need spring install as much as you know Jalen Coit or Chris Scott Jr. would. One of those guys. Grant Gibson's quote on Devin Leary too. He started to use his voice a lot more. 
We've seen him take a huge step forward as an offense. We're very excited to what we, what he can do now. <clears throat> we all have faith that he can lead this team. I think, you know, the things are falling in line for him. I think from what we've seen, he's recovered from his injury and, you know, just having more time to learn. And sometimes it could be, you know, it could be a blessing in disguise, right? He sits back and watches Bailey Hockman. He sits back and gets to learn and not worry about working out or playing specifically. He gets to go in there and, you know, learn the offense. You know, like we said, I think that's interesting to me. I hope and he's learned I, to slide. <laughs> God, I swear to God. Yeah. I mean, I, here's the thing. I just don't understand how you can be a really good athlete and not know how to slide. It just he he ran a lot in high school too. Like it's one of those things. Like it's fundamentals. Just <laughs> kick your leg back and slide. It's not that difficult. My old ass can do it. He can do it. I want to see really. I think you guys mentioned the wide receiver. So what? what something that's, that's going to stand out to me is what's Joker Phillips' impact. Do they? change your style any does does anything there change i'm curious to see what a seasoned wide receiver coach brings to that side i think i think what somebody said it might have been doran actually that he's got a very different philosophy in blocking curious what that means if like does he like the block? Yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that is kind of funny. Um, it's going to be like Joe Gibbs back in the day, having the receivers line up in three-point stances out there. We'll go, we'll go old Christ. school. Yeah. I hope not. Unless it's... I, I thought it was one of the things that we did well, though. I think the receivers yeah. actually blocked downfield pretty well. So I'm curious what I, that means. I'd be interested to see like what Devin Carter does. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, his... I thought his blocking was great. I mean, he was just so physical, maybe too physical at times, obviously, with some of the fouls he drew. Um, but he at least took it to heart that blocking was important. Um, you know, I mean, I'm curious to see like, what's, what, what's he do with a CJ Riley, right? Where, you know, at least for me, I've always wanted to see CJ Riley really just like take that next step. Right. And it just seems like he never has, but, um, I think, uh, I think Riley was mentioned a few times in the press conference today, talking about, you know, battling injuries and, you know, it's just, you know, Dave says it has some good things to say about Joker. Basically, that he came in, um, kind of just improved upon. I, I guess is what I mean. That's basically what he said uh, on what George was doing. He there was this one little quote I had highlighted earlier. I'm probably not going to be able to find it. Um, oh, here he goes. Uh, he says George McDonald did a great job here, and so Joker's been able to step into a very experienced coach's room and pick up where he left off and add some nuances that George didn't have, which I thought was interesting. Usually. Usually he doesn't really talk about his former coaches uh, yeah. like that. So I thought that was a good sign that Joker is bringing something else to the table. Doran's quote on the O-line, we feel, <clears throat> feel that there's really good depth and competition in that position group. That That is one that I'm really curious to see how they develop because I thought they were big-time disappointment last year. Uh, one of the questions from the people – who is the most important outside of Leary? Who is the most important player on this team next year? What you got, Chance? Give me one. Oh, that's a. I mean, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think you know defensively, you you could look at Peyton Wilson. Um, obviously, I mean, I know that's that's the elephant in the room there with him. I mean, he's just 
you know, he's got he should have won ACC Defensive Player of the Year this year, but I won't go into that rant. Um, um, you know, I also look at like some of these leadership veteran guys, another linebacker in Isaiah Moore. Um, you know, some of those guys on defense. I read a graphic today. I think we're returning like ninety percent of our defensive production from last year, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, which is awesome. Um, but as far as just like overall importance, and I know I'm biased because I, I'm such a proud Nash County boy, but like I just I just think Bam Knight is gonna have a huge year. I love him. Um, and, and I just think I think he's gonna have a huge year. So so that's probably who I'll go with if, if you make me pick one guy. And I think I think he's gonna take those strides in the running game. Um, you know, that, that state really needs to develop like such a dual threat offense of of being able to run the ball and pick up seven to eight yards a little more consistently while also having, you know, a, a veteran solid quarterback and, and a good receiving core. I, I think the I think the football team has potential to have a huge year in general this year. And I think Bam will be a big contributor to that. I think the way Bam has a big year is if we find a left tackle. And the reason I say that is I want to see Iquanu playing guard. And when he is in there, the run game is so much better. And so I think, I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be O'Reilly or one of the new guys coming in, one of the transfers. Um, I would say that the left tackle is going to be unheralded, but that's going to be the key cog on offense. And then I think on, on defense, it's obviously it's going to be whoever's replacing McNeil. Um, you know, Doran made note about my man, Josh Harris. Um, he's a young man that as we continue to get him into the shape we want him to be in, we feel like he can be a force in there. Um, is as long as that shape's not round. Well, I mean, look, I, uh, I posted a photo inside of the, uh, IPS chat room that got a ton of, uh, likes. So, uh, I'm sticking with my, my Maui Moana theme here with my man. Um, this guy could be the demigod of the defense. He just needs to stay in shape. He looks, I mean, he, just the little snip, snapshots you can kind of see of him in what Thunder posts. He looks like he's in better shape. Um, the the scuttlebutt is that he was way over the 345 or 350 or whatever they listed him at yeah. um, in, the, in the season last year. And, and that makes sense because he was coming back from an injury. It's possible he got caught up in the COVID uh, protocols as well. Um, I think he's a guy that needs stability, um, time to be in the program. You know, if he can avoid setbacks, I think he's going to be a surprise there. I mean, I I love CJ Clark. I love Devin Van, but I think Josh Harris can be a game changer if you can actually get significant reps for him outside of the goal line stands. I mean, even if he is just at the goal line stands, I mean, he is a, he was a, he was a factor in multiple, um, you know, touchdowns and field goals held off the board last year because he held the line down there. I mean, I think he can be that. Just imagine if you can get that kind of stuff out of him throughout the rest of the field. He is a space eater, and we, that's what you need when you have a when you're running the three three five. I I don't know, man. I was thinking about this while you guys were talking. Who's going to be? I'm going to cop out and say the offensive line because I really think that is going to dictate everything. They need to get better offensive line performance. I think if you look across the board, State is returning. A massive amount of talent, not just on the defensive side of the ball, but on the offensive offensive side as well. And for them to really take advantage of it, the one area I think they need to get better play out of is the offensive line. That makes everybody better. 
So I'm copping out. It's a whole unit. That whole unit needs to be better. I, w- I will say one more thing, kind of echoing Will, a- another guy who's due for a big year on the defensive line. You know, I know everybody's caught up in the returning talent, talking about like Peyton Wilson, Emeka Mezzi, Devin Leary, Bam, and Ricky. Like, I'll talk about defensively, like Daniel Joseph. Like, I don't, I don't think he quite got the credit he deserved for being as good as he was last year and putting some pressure on the quarterbacks. But like, I, you know, I think he's going to have a big, a big year too for state on the defensive line. I, I think having a guy who, even though he's only been in state's program one year, um, you know, he's a grad student and has had experience at a big, at a big name school like Penn State. Like, I just, th- I think that's going to be huge. For, for teaching younger guys and, uh, and you know, having some experience there on the defensive line that, that we might not have otherwise. I think defensive line is going to be really good. I think they have potential to be really good. And a guy we hadn't even mentioned, and he's not on campus yet, is Corey Durden. Yeah. I think uh, if he is as important or is he is as impactful as people are saying, then, I mean, you're looking at a rotation of like, C.J. Clark, Terrell Dawkins, Corey Durden, and then Davin Van, Daniel Joseph, Josh Harris, and I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, Savion Jackson. I mean, that's that's seven dudes that can play, man. That is seven dudes that can play, and I think that is, that is going to be a strength of this team. Those guys are, are immensely talented. Yeah, I think having Durden, you – one of the things we said last year was, you know, we still had unknowns on the defensive line and offensive line, but having Durden certainly takes the, you know, makes it easy for me to breathe a little easier going into the season, right? That that guy could be a difference maker, especially if he's healthy. Um, I I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name that transferred in from Florida State as well. Uh, Fagan. Yeah, Fagan. Um, already, we're getting really good reports uh, from him, embracing his role, leading, um, doing exactly what Doran wants, and. I think it's really important because, I, you know, as as I, I think this team, or at least this year, as far as who we bring in in this the recruiting class, is going to be a lot of transfers, and it seems like we are doing a really good job finding the right guys. Um, and if State can keep doing that, I think that will help us take a step forward, right? Because we we had maybe taken too too many developmental guys or flyers in the last, you know, prior to Glasscock taking over. And now he's gone, right? So if we can continue this trend of bringing in the right transfers, you know, I mean, two of the guys we brought in for the offensive line, Zavala and Belton, right? Um, You know, this this is our chance, I think, to take a step, right? I think Clemson, I I, you know, I don't think it's reasonable to expect us to beat Clemson, but they look beatable without Trevor Lawrence, right? And, you know, I think Dave recognizes that this is a big year for him. Um, he could, he can make a big stride. He's kind of, you know, he's been snake bit for two years in a row. Right. I mean, I would think losing your, losing your quarterback multiple times last year in theory, um, really set that program back. And yet we still managed to rip off, uh, you know, seven wins in the ACC and you know, why, why couldn't we continue that? If you think about it, I mean, all the players are there to make a big run. And maybe that's why he seems so confident in, in the the presser today. But I don't know. I, I just I keep looking at the schedule and I keep just getting excited thinking about it. It's weird to see Dave that relaxed dealing with the media because he has a very contentious relationship with the media, as it seems. And that Zoom 
press conference, he seemed like he's got it. He had it all under control. The only thing we didn't see, Evan, was the 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 oil diffuser. <laughs> right? Yeah, we, we didn't see. He wasn't diffusing any. any but I don't think anybody was diffusing this time. He probably shot it from um, Roper's conference room. <laughs> conference room slash office slash closet, whatever he has got going on there. Yeah, speaking of Dave, uh, I'll go ahead and say that one of the things we talked about on the site this morning was – Les Miles got fired from Kansas, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher this, but so paraphrasing, what I was told is that Dave will not let his agent answer a phone call from Kansas. So I think we can put that to bed. Uh, I don't know if he was going to be on anybody's interest list, but he's from Kansas. That was one of the ones that, you know, one of the jobs that people are always worried about, but I don't think there's any interest. When you say Dave's, people are worried about it, Evan, I feel well, like you're the now, only person but, I know that has ever brought up the Kansas job. <laughs> James, probably. But no, like it's, um, uh, yeah, a few years ago, it might have been part of the conversation. And, but it's not now. I, I think Dave realizes he's got a really good team coming back. He's got a really good chance at, you know, if he does, like, I'm not saying he does, but if he does want to leave, it'll be after next year, one way or the other, because his team's either going to be really good, or if they're not, then I think Boo's going to have uh, some interesting conversations going on. But he, all the pieces are lining up for him to have a really good year. Schedule, talent, just everything. So, yeah. That's all I got. If we lose a basketball coach to Penn State and a football coach to Kansas in the same year, I think I'll pull all my hair out. <laughs> uh, I put this on the site too. Penn State people—they uh, don't know what's going on up there. They don't—they don't think it's Keats, but they're also not going to roll it out. So, how many tacos do you give Penn State? <laughs> the Penn State thing. Uh, probably one and a half tacos. Like, I don't think that's likely. No condiments, no toppings. No, no. Taco scale rating on the website if you have not seen it. It's how we're going to... (laughs) We don't do stars around here. We don't do... I don't know, what are the other... Crystal balls, right? We do tacos, man. Tacos. One through five. One being it's not going to happen. Five being it's probably going to happen. I'm going to say, like, one and a half tacos that that there's any merit to that Keats Penn State nonsense. Well, I thought after last week it was going to be cookies, so oh, I'll settle for tacos at this point. I thought about chocolate chip cookies. Tacos just got a better emoji, man. Like if you just look at the keyboard, the taco emojis are they're they're way better. So I can't deny that. <laughs> yeah. Classic Red White Podcast. We are trailing off at the end. We have nothing else to talk about. The back plays tomorrow at noon. We'll be back at some point if I can wrangle one of these guys to talk about the basketball game. Otherwise, we'll speak to you all next week. As always, thanks for listening. Go Pack. Go Pack. Go Pack. Because all I got on my mind right now is some ice cream. So. I-